welcome to the fourth episode of Spare Pratt. And today we are doing Jubilee. Doctor Who. Jubilee. You must get some rest, Miriam. It's a long day tomorrow. Yes. A long, glorious day. A long, glorious, exciting, wonderful, marvellous... Miriam, that is enough. <laughs> Doctor! I can't believe you just said that. Oh, did I put my foot in it again? What's that? We can play with you gently or play with you until you break. You have no right to pride. Well, the TARDIS doesn't seem to agree with you. She's trying to move again. What's wrong? Well, she can't. For some reason, she's stuck here. Stay where you are, Evelyn Smythe. Like it or not, you will be my ally. Doctor... Doors! They can't decide whether to stay open or closed. Get out, Evelyn! Good friends, you and I. You are my prisoner! Sleep tight. Mm. <sighs> Take care of the Daleks, don't fight. <laughs> <laughs> when Chris decided to do Jubilee, he said that one of the reasons he was really keen to do it was because... He thought it was going to be similar to the episode Dalek. So, Chris, what do you now think about how similar it is to Dalek? Wow, I did not expect it to be so. Oh, how to describe? I can't describe. It was just. It was mad, mad, just mad. Everyone was bloody mad. It was just bloody mad. Insanity was certainly a theme. Very much so, and not just the main cast, but it just seemed like the entire universe of this episode, everyone was mad or everyone had just had lost any ounce of sanity left in them. Cause it's, it's clearly in some sort of alternative timeline. It's made that very clear at the start where the TARDIS splits off into two different versions of itself, sending itself back a hundred years to then have a big old Dalek fight and fast forward to the, the main bulk of this episode it takes place 100 years later, as I say, in London, where the British have taken over the world in very, very fascist fashion. The English Empire. The English, I have to say, yes. Trying to be geopolitically correct. Yes, it's stated a lot of very much the English. It was, I thought that was quite odd. It was very much the English Empire that they stated. <laughs> yeah. Giving up the right English or Scottish or another nationality. Rob Sherman's English, I think. Now, this is way before Brexit. Maybe it was the harbinger of... It was like a, a very extreme version of Brexit, wasn't it? This is what will happen. Hard, hard, hard Brexit. With a major hint of insane. Would you like to leave the Union? Well, they invade Europe, don't they? And America. All the money will go to the NHS. I know Joe has heard audios with the Sixth Doctor and Evelyn before. But I imagine that Evelyn would have been new to you guys. Yeah, definitely new to me. And I'm going to come out and say I really didn't like her from the off. I did not take to her at all. I found her really smug. I don't know if it was just the way the actress was doing the voice or the character. It just very smug. I I love Evelyn Smythe. I think she is probably one of the best companions that certainly the six doctors ever had. And you're just wrong. That is me told. Thank you. For, thank you for paying. Thank you for, thank you for coming along, everyone. It's been lovely speaking to you. I know. Mic drop. For the second one in a row, Chris is wrong. Second week in a row, Chris is wrong. Can he make it a hat trick for next week? I think, though, in Chris's defence. Don't defend Chris. He doesn't deserve it. 
he hasn't heard Evelyn from the big beginning. So I think if you just dropped into that one, I could see how that it would come across like that. But when you're introduced to her in, in her first one as the history lecturer, and they kind of outsmug each other, which is quite good. And she's quite a good foil for him. So I suppose in this one, which is just batshit, frankly, it's maybe not the best intro to her. Okay. To be to be fair, but I can understand yeah. why why you, it might look like that. But she definitely puts him back in his place. I I had I think it was my first experience of Evelyn as well actually, and I initially thought oh, posh women, you know, I'm not going to like this. But I quite you know that that just disappeared quite uh, quite soon. I enjoyed the batting back and forth between her and the doctor, and, and it was quite well explained our background in the space of a couple of sentences, so that for people like me who hadn't heard any previous stories, you knew you could work out she was a history lecturer by the sounds of it. And she was quite she was a, an actress, a woman who played with Maggie Stables. As I went on to have a look to find out because I had no idea who she was. Started an acting quite late and. and got involved with, I'm not sure it was a Big Finish thing, but with the people involved in Big Finish in a production of Jane Eyre with Nick Briggs. And then, then she was brought in as the companion, I think. Well, one story as another character, then as a companion. So, She was in the very first ever Doctor Who Big Finish, uh, Sirens of Time, I think. And then she appears in, in a few other things. But I loved her as even. I mean, sadly, she's she's no longer with us. But I thought she just, she actually played a great role because Big Finish do a lot of work to rehabilitate Colin. I think, but I think at this point they're still he's still slightly snippy. So I think having someone who can, as you say, put him in his place, works well for that doctor. Yeah, she doesn't sort of cut him any slack. She's an older woman who, who sort of suffers no fools type thing. But certainly in the first one, which you haven't had the had the privilege of hearing, Chris. Yeah, she does kind of just sort herself out. I mean, she, they they go back to Queen Mary, and she gets lost in really quite dangerous situation. She ends up making a whole bunch of total vagabonds hot chocolate and putting them all right <laughs> instead of being stabbed to death, which I think is pretty good. Yeah, you're doing well. We don't get stabbed to death. Yeah, absolutely. So she she has a few years on maybe some of the other companions. And so it's a different dynamic. So I kind of I kind of warmed to her rather than some of the other ones, which has got different companions that I don't forget the name of. Course. I think that's probably the problem I had with it was that, as you say, it's not for her. It's not really a kind of a get to know you character development sort of episode. It's more a whole bunch of mad shits going down and you see how she reacts to it. And I'll, I'll backtrack myself a little bit and say, it was only like in the first half, I didn't really warm to her instantly. Yeah. But kind of throughout the episode, I'm not to say that I'm not to say that I warmed to her, but I kind of got used to her being the companion in that scenario, doing the things yeah. in that scenario. So it wasn't a case of like, oh, actually now I've suddenly seen a different side to her. I really like her. It's more just like, okay, here's the the next insane situation she's found herself in and befriending. <laughs> yes. Possibly befriending. I, I don't even know if he struck a friendship with the Dalek or not, or some codependency stuff going on there. I watched Dalek over the weekend, ready for this, and I think it is slightly similar to how the Dalek views Rose, which is I don't think they're friends, but I think it sees a kind of kindred spirit, someone out of place. Yeah. Someone who shouldn't be where they are. I think it's maybe a hard role to be the same person in this story though and i think maybe that doesn't help her because everyone is just so ridiculous yeah 
And again, to draw the comparisons to Dalek, in her interactions, the first, I think the first or the second interaction in our story, they're very much parallels to Rose's interaction with the Dalek, almost like same dialogue to a certain extent. And they have the same sort of frame of conversation of wanting to be free and what it means to be alive, I guess. Needing orders is something that's in both. Yeah. The, The desire for a Dalek to be ordered. And I think you'd be able to tell that they were written by the same person, but I think I had forgotten because it's been a long time since I'd listened to this. In fact, I might not have listened to it since I'd seen Dalek. That, and people always say, though, that Jubilee is an early version of Dalek. And I think whilst it has similarities, it, it, it's just not. It's got the similarities <laughs> of a chained up Dalek and some of the kind of mindset of the Daleks and, and you know, getting through, so to speak. Yeah, I haven't watched Dalek since it was first broadcast in whenever it was, 2005, I guess it must have been. So I watched it last night, knowing that you were going to ask the question about how similar it was, and I couldn't remember. All I remember about the episode, thinking back to it, was the Doctor in a darkened room with a Dalek, with a blue a blue disc glowing, which he obviously didn't know what it was until the little lights started flashing when it talked in the, obviously, the Dalek voice. So uh, I'd completely forgotten most of the rest of the story. But uh, as you say, there's hints or, or there's little pieces out of this audio book that we've listened to that were taken and made it in a completely different story. There's the, the museum side of things, which is mentioned. There's a, a Dalek museum, I think, in the audiobook that's talked about, but not really in any detail. And obviously the TARDIS lands in a museum that isn't a Dalek museum, but it's a, an alien museum by a rich man under the desert in Utah. Uh, that's, there's a side of my head there on a, a Slovene stuffed hand and, and various things, and then the Daleks down below in, in its little cells, and it's, as you say, chained up, etc. And, and it's, I wouldn't say it's as bad as the Dalek in this one. It's a bit pissed off, maybe. <laughs> You'd be very hard pushed to find anything as mad as the people in this episode, honestly. When I rewatched it, one of the things that struck me is how much better in some ways that would have been if that episode had not been called Dalek, and you didn't know the Dalek was coming. Yeah. And then it, and it just appeared because it, calling it Dalek is a bit like when you used to see the classic Doctor Who episode, like Remembrance of the Daleks, where the Dalek appears. And it's like, well, obviously, I'm not surprised it's literally called Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, no, I'm so shocked. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right there. I remember sort of seeing the title going, well, it's going to have a Dalek in it, isn't it? And, and you're right. The, you know, the, the surprise was gone. I mean, there were a few surprises in the audiobook about, I guess, were laid there to make you misthink what was going to happen, like the the, the secret prisoner in a wheelchair who created the Daleks, which you're obviously thinking, well, that's going to be Davros, and it's actually the Doctor with his legs chopped off in a wheelchair. The alternate universe, the 1903 Doctor who's survived 100 years. So, you know, there's quite a bit of misdirection in there and lots of uh, characters playing characters themselves to hide their true feelings is probably not the right one. Almost everyone had a secret self they're kind of hiding. And I guess that's going to lead into the kind of the themes of the episode. It was like, use the face you have towards everyone else, but then you keep your secret. So you see, well, certainly didn't become a secret. I think everyone revealed themselves by the end of the episode, like two or three times over. I mean, I think the first, it was a tale of two halves in a way. That The first bit was quite a relatively simple tale with uh, just the Dalek and the main characters. And then you had all these people sort of, showing up that they were not what they, what you thought they were or what they were seen to be in the, in the first bit. And then you'd all have Daleks appearing and, and you know, comedy Daleks, which were actually dwarves dressed in Dalek costumes, I think. And I mean, it got a bit 
crazy in the last half. It got a bit crazy. I'm doing it understatement there. I just want to say for the people listening at home, absolutely listen to this audiobook. It is, as we will be saying, it is very, 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 very mad, but it is actually almost deliciously so. Like, if you want a piece that shows the best and worst of humanity and is really reveling in the psychoses, their psychologies and stuff, it's a very much, it's for you. So, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you, it obviously wasn't what you were expecting. No. But I'm saying, it sounds like you very much enjoyed it. I did. I, I love stories like this that I can, I, I would love to like speak to the writer about it and then go and want to know like what was his process for actually writing the script because there's some stuff in here that's quite difficult to listen to. And I mean that in a sense, like, okay, someone's had to get into the mindset of Miriam, for example, who is just all over the place from start to finish. Again, that's what I mean by going through different aspects of her character. She starts off as the bubbly ditzy. Oh, I'm the, even to say it, it feels weird and wrong. The ditzy wife, that's the role she plays. She calls herself ugly a lot. And then at one point, quarter of the way through, she comes over and says, actually, I'm just playing a role. I'm actually really smart. I'm actually devious and clever. I've got a plan to overthrow my husband, the president. And then towards the end, she comes out and says, no, yeah, I have this evil plan. Ha ha ha. But actually, I'm going to return the womankind of this, this era to being the docile housewife that's that's our role and it just almost feels like a juxtaposition of of characters it was very strange to get my head around and yeah and then by the end of it she goes well again spoilers goes up and stabs her husband after professing her love to him i think she's the personification of this whole episode being batshit crazy yeah she's definitely a red flag i would say yes i mean <laughs> just a bit i i personally wouldn't date her <laughs> this, i think this, i have I mean, yeah. you probably think you might have actually <laughs> i think when we were first introduced to her and her husband and they're sort of fooling around i think it was with contractions just the, a little bit lovey-dovey yeah. shortening their their verbs and such like and then he slaps her presumably across the face and i was quite I was quite taken aback by that violence, which you don't, apart from all of the killing, you don't normally see so much. I don't know. Apart from all of the violence, you don't see so much violence, but that felt quite intimate domestic partner violence, which is not something I've necessarily seen a huge amount of in Doctor Who. It is there, but I kind of thought, am I going to like this episode when we're going to have lots of this? And so I was kind of glad when we, we quickly moved on to this is all a bit of an act. But then I thought it was really, like you said, it was got really quite toxic later on when she's like, he didn't even hit me properly. And I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah, he, did, he didn't even draw blood. Like, what kind of a man is he? Like, like, geez, this is toxic as hell. So I'd, I'd be really kind of worried about who's listening to it and hopefully everyone's very sensible and realises that these yeah. behaviours are, are not good for anyone to have. I mean, I think it I think it is pretty strongly stated that they are obviously completely insane. And therefore, yes. therefore you know, this is not normal behaviour. This is the behaviour of people who, no. who think it's okay to cut but, somebody's legs yeah. off. Yeah, because even the even the boy Nigel, he gets his his psychosis out there as well, quite for all to see. When you know he comes across in an inst at the very start, you know you oh you're clearly the bad guy. You're sending people off to camps, and you're, you're very much a bit of a bastard, slapping your misses. Okay, we don't like you. You're a dick. And then the 
the story tries to switch that and says, Al, I'm in control. I'm being mind controlled by the Dalek. Sorry. No, everyone else is being mind controlled by the Dalek. I'm the only one who's sane, which is the first cry of you're insane. If you think you're the only one who's, yeah. And then, and then he just dips more and more into like, I want to be a good man. I want to be a good man. I'm only playing the role of the evil dictator. But even the doctor calls him out and says, but you're still sending people to camps. Like, well, yes, of course I am. It's an act, mate. It's not, you're mad as a bag of badges. Actually, the, I, one of the bits that jumped out to me as being particularly gruesome is the, the scene where the Daleks trying to teach Pharaoh how power works. and says, go, go stab the boy lamb. Like, he's like, no, I, or, I he, Pharaoh is quite cowardly and has, has a, that's his character arc. Like, no, I'm the one who signs the de- declarations to have people killed. That's my power. And Daleks, this is like, nah, just stab him. And he stabs him in the neck. That was lamb right in the neck. Mm. And the, the sound department really did their job well, unfortunately. It's very squelchy. Rob Sherman, who wrote this, had written previously Chimes of Midnight, which is a really good episode. It's a kind of horror creepy episode. That's one of the ones Big Finish released as a limited edition vinyl. So the two the two they released from that those early times were Spare Part and Chimes of Midnight. And it's a great episode. And the other episode he did was the one where he brought back Frobisher, the talking penguin, who we have talked about before. Yes, so he, I've he, heard that one. He is, that's a, all hail the giant talking bird. He is someone who goes for the slightly mad things sometimes. And I think in this one, it is almost like he just went, ah, do you know what? No one's going to stop me now. I'm just going to see how far I can push this. And therefore, it's really strange in some ways that two years later, Russell T. Davies went, oh, it's the guy that did that really strange one about the Daleks and the, and the Tower of London. He's totally the person to write the first comeback of the Dalek story. So what I really enjoyed in terms of like the, the, the Dalek character itself, I've got a, a note of this. One of the first things I picked up on is how similar, I mean, it may be by design, maybe by other means, but the character in Capaldi's series, Rusty, the Dalek. So a lot of shades of Rusty in our Dalek and Jubilee. Very much that kind of like, an, like anti-Dalek to a certain degree. Trying to convince the Doctor that he's a good... Almost every Dalek tries to convince the Doctor he's a good Dalek. It's an interesting episode because it is so ridiculous. And it's got the Daleks and it's got Colin Baker, who wasn't necessarily a massively popular Doctor, but I think has really been brought back to life by the audios. I think that's what I really enjoyed about this episode was that he was he came across as a like really he just came across really strong in his acting for the for the episode. They're all all the Colin doctors in Big Finish so far that I have listened to have been really good. And having only really seen one or two from back in the day and had not great memories of those. I, I kind of he's my favorite uh, of the audios. And it's uh, probably up there now, my favourite generally, which is quite interesting as he was sort of not so popular back in the day. But did it, uh, well, everyone enjoyed it then? Yeah, very much. I did. I got a bit lost in the last sort of quarter is probably the wrong bit. But as time starts to merge together, I started to not be quite sure of where we were physically or temporarily but it didn't bother me overly because I'm very laid back but at the same time I wasn't quite sure what ha- was happening with the story towards the end where Philip has realized that he's maybe not a good man after all 
I think he's just been stabbed at that point. Stabbed or not quite stabbed. And then there's a heart attack and not a stab. Like that's where I got a little bit lost, I have to say. I think that's the bit, yeah. I think that's the bit where uh, Nigel and Miriam, well, he confesses his love for her, his, his real emotions. Nigel, not Philip. See what I mean? Well, that's it. And it all gets very explodey, audiobook, big bangs, what's going on. And that's where I think the visual element of this episode would have, you know, come very much to the front where you can actually visualize the the big crowd slowly morphing into a big crowd of Daleks. Yeah. I could actually see that bit. That was that, that kind of maybe because we've seen so much Doctor Who already, maybe it was just imprinted from that but I could quite see that bit quite easily in my head them all turning into Daleks and I think that's an, another really good credit to the writing as well how as a finale it's as you know you've we've come through the story finding that everyone is mad and is a fascist or just generally wanting to beat the master race and all that kind of stuff England for England England for the world and everything else is scummy and the, the way at the start where they treat the president of the Americas as second class and just like oh, he's worthless and all that kind of stuff to then have the humans morph into Daleks is like ah that's very much it's on the it's on the nose but at the same time very like kind of well executed it's like yeah I see what you're doing there yeah humans are humans are dicks we are the worst I think that's the point isn't it we're not that different from the Daleks given our worst impulses well, that's, there was a doctor's speech to that effect, basically, wasn't there, towards the end of the, the story. But yeah, I mean, it was quite, you know, as you say, they've sort of become like like the Nazis, if you like, like the Daleks were based on that. So they, you know, the, the Daleks invading them and then were coming on, of, they're no better than the Daleks because that's what they've become, basically. Yeah. The same same way they've, they're trying to take over the Earth that presumably get on and take over the universe as best they could and, and then as it says towards the end what do you do when you've taken over everything and killed everything else what do you do do you kill all the other Daleks and you left one Dalek going mad at the end which is takes us right back to the one Dalek who's there as a prisoner at the start so. it's unlimited rice pudding time that's what we yeah. have <laughs> I mean this was written nearly 20 years ago and I think it feels pretty modern it feels like it could have been done a lot more recently Maybe that's a bad sign about where the world is just now. Definitely. So certainly in the last two to two and a half to three years, definitely. If not a bit longer. I think a lot of them that I've listened to from that early main range feels quite relevant, current. They, they feel like of the, the people who wrote them knew what was coming. They do. Like, so there was, and now I forget all of the titles of them, but there was the Fearmonger and a whole host of other ones which to me felt like in the past couple of years they could have just been written about our times right now and that's sad um, very prescient of the of the authors etc maybe it wasn't that much of a jump maybe they, i just wasn't looking but certainly of late the, the ones that i've listened to just feel like they could have been written yesterday which is sad. I want some happy stuff, please. Happy things, but happy things are happening somewhere, please. It's not for the faint of heart. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this should be your first one. If you're getting into your big finish audios, you know, maybe a bit too strong. But unless unless you are a seasoned fan of the TV show before and after, and you've got a good basis for kind of, well, that's kind of a good question. That raises a good raises a good question because if you're to show Doctor Who to a you know brand new person had heard of it never seen it before and you kind of show them okay the daleks are the baddies someone's probably more likely to say to you like i've heard of the daleks i know they're the baddies 
because the whole pop culture thing, which kind of comes out in this episode as well, how they've, I'm going to use the term, marvelized the hmm. the Doctor. That's over cute, the, I like that. Yeah, the whole, like, the Doctor's actually, oh, he's funnily enough, played by an American. He's big, brash, big mu- muscles, doesn't wear a silly patchwork coat. Yeah, well, they mentioned the English Empire had Dalek theme parks as well. So there you go. I'm sure there's Marvel theme parks out there, I like that. So what was it? Plenty O'Toole as Evil Smythe, which I thought was out of a super camp, I thought. But, you know. I just want to know as well, like, this, is the, this is the fourth one now that has had some sort of uh, advert for a product or TV show at the start of it. Spare Parts had the... The, the the radio and oh the masterful no I didn't that was straight in but it's a good tool though isn't it to get you into into the zone it's it's a slightly surprising because it is quite unusual in Big Finish yet we have chosen three which use a similar technique maybe they used it more in those earlier days because those are three from the first kind of fifty so the first sort of five years I guess five or six years so was there anything about it that you didn't get on with apart from Evelyn for which we've established you were wrong. Ill-advised. Nope, wrong. I need I need to learn I need to learn more. Mm. I need to get to know her. You know she know what makes her tick and what's the what's the one in the moors again? The Spectre of Lanyon Moor. The Spectre of Lanyon Moor would be a good one, I think, because it's set it's, it's set in, in the real world. It's got the brigadier and it's got some good old fashioned werewolfy haunting and stuff like that. And it's actually Aww. Love a werewolf. Love a haunt. That's a good one, I think. I would start with that. If you didn't want to go right to the beginning of, of her timeline, that would be a good one, I think. I wasn't so keen on the on the last <laughs> section as much because I felt perhaps that could have been a little bit clearer for me. It could have been that I just wasn't listening properly, but I just felt like it it was a bit sort of confused. A bit clunky. Um, towards the end, and it, the rest of it had been gross but elegant. I guess that's probably because it's quite a hard story to sum up in you know yeah. the last 10, 15 minutes. Like where where do you go with a story this kind of icky in a positive way? Or are you just kind of like, yeah, humans are all rubbish. Uh, right, back to the TARDIS. Let's go have an adventure. Like, you just I sit mean, with us a little bit here. I think yeah. that's the thing. It wasn't that positive an ending, really. It was just an ending, which I think actually was one of the things I quite liked about it, is that you don't, you don't save everyone. You know, you don't suddenly discover that they go to this alternative reality and actually you know, the royal couple are actually a really nice, happily married, lovely couple. That doesn't happen, it, you know, and I quite like that. It just is one of those things that ends. Yeah. And, but yeah, I think it'd be very difficult to to kind of wrap that one up. It feels like, I don't know how you could have ended it. You you, you know, you've yeah, written yourself ended. into this ridiculously mad thing and you kind of have to end it that way or it just won't work. Yeah, how do you sit with it? Yeah, I suppose that, that's the thing as well because didn't Nigel have a heart attack at the end and that's just... That was the, the remnants of that universe having its rippling effect. And generally no one, no one learned, no one learned a lesson and no one kind of got better from it. It was just a case of, well, that's, that's all happened. All we can do is move on and try and be better than we were. But then the characters who we don't like don't learn anything. But that's real life. So I quite like that about it. I thought, you know, it's, it's nice. That it's not wrapped up in a nice bow at the end of it. It's a bit, it's a little bit harsher. What were your thoughts, Doug? Well, all the characters that don't learn it, the thing are all dead. They can't learn anything. <laughs> they learned how they learned how not to live, literally. I liked it, I guess, overall. There wasn't really anything that I didn't like about it other than the fact that it, it just got a little bit confusing and a bit weirder towards the end. 
what I particularly liked about it was that it being a Dalek story, it wasn't full of Daleks saying exterminate all the way through and, you know, lots of Dalek talking to Dalek voices. It was just a single Dalek and on the other characters. And it was only later on that you you you, you got the, well, you got the funny, the, the dwarves dressed as Daleks a little bit. And then you got the 1903 Daleks breaking through in probably just the last episode, the last quarter of it. So, yeah, I enjoyed it, with especially with a brand new character, a new companion that I'd never come across before. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I might have done because of that, so... It was it was weird and it was a bit less than ideal Doctor Who maybe with all the uh, the killings and the, the backstabbing and the madness and everything but uh, it was definitely a, definitely worth listening to. So it was a good call and it wasn't at all like what I expected it might be when it was called Jubilee. I had no idea what it was going to be about. I didn't look at anything about it before that. I listened to the story. I just went straight in and listened to it. I didn't even recognise it was Martin Jarvis playing Nigel. I didn't recognise his voice particularly. Well, not that I was particularly listening for anybody that I might recognise. thought about what you were saying there, Doug, about it being a bit different because it felt quite un-Doctor Who-y. And I, it got me thinking that I wonder if they would have done this episode after Doctor Who had come back. Or if the only reason they were doing this kind of grown up, this darker version of it, because I don't think Big Finish is often that goes that dark now. And I wonder if it's because it was a much more, your Doctor Who fans at that time were people who'd watched it generally, so were much older. So maybe it feels like maybe the audience was, they were catering towards an older audience there that they might not have done after it came back. Yeah. So well, I've got a question for you, Stuart, because you, You've probably read a lot more of these books. So after Doctor Who finished and they'd done all the mm-hmm. Target books, there were all in Virgin New Adventures and then there was all the other books that came after that. And a lot of those darker-type stories and weirder-type stories than TV ones? Or? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them are grown-up stories. There's, I mean, again, this is something that we can, we can talk to a future guest that we will possibly have coming on about. They are definitely, I think, all aimed at an older audience. So... I think whereas Doctor Who was a family show, I think that the books were probably aimed at sort of late teenagers, early 20s, early 30s. And I think a lot of the writers would have been about that age at the time that they were doing them. Because a lot of those writers are people who are now in the, doing the show. Mark Gatiss was a writer and he wrote, you know, one of those sort of those books that came after. Russell T. Davies wrote one of them. I think he wrote A New Adventure, Virgin New Adventure. So, you know, the people who went on to then run the show and, and have a big part in it, Paul Cornell. They they all started off initially writing the, these sort of fiction books. So it's kind of a way for like the audience who grew up with Doctor Who literally going into more adult content, I suppose. Because that's kind of, they're every, everyone's aging with the show. They're at now that, that more mature levels for that level of content. Well, that's it. The Doctor Who... Like Hollyoaks after dark, but for that, that's exactly it. Oh, it's just like Hollyoaks. Oh, no. After dark. oh no! Doctor finished in eighty nine, and then the books would have come out early nineties. So there'd be a few years. So you know, if you were sort of twelve, thirteen, fourteen at the time that Doctor Who finished, you were you're going to be a late teenager. So you know, you're the right sort of thing for the more violent books and the more the more sort of mature themes. Yeah, and Big Finish actually have adapted some of the books into audios they've adapted a couple of new adventures so they've adapted for example the first one where you meet bernie summerfield that's that's an audio adventure now so i mean there is there's an option at some point we can actually go and find out how much more adult i mean they will be toned down i'm guessing some of them but there are things like russell t davies's 
big finish. He's got damaged goods, which was his Virgin New Adventure is now a big finish. I mean, we've kind of touched on this a bit and it, it was obviously quite a surreal story. Do you think it could have worked on TV? And if so, what would you have had to done to make it work on TV? That's a very good question. Well, I, th- I think what they did by creating Dalek out of it worked really well on TV. I think taking that little bit out and adapting it worked really well. How they would have made this story work on TV, they would need a far bigger budget than they had on Dalek, that's for sure. It's also an awful lot longer because it's, I think, they're 36 yeah. minutes long, most of these episodes. So then they're not even like the normal old 25 minute sort of length, maximum length episode. So it was, what was that, two? two and a half or odd hours, something like that. So they were about to, well, they were about to string it over two or three episodes or cut a lot of the plot out, which I'm sure they could have done and made it a little bit less convoluted. Cut out things like cutting the dwarf's hand off probably is one thing they would have had to cut out. <laughs> Stabbing through the heart, another one maybe. As the, as the camera pans away, all you hear is a shink. You're like, oh, that man is dead. I think it would have to be full-on American Horror Story-style production for it i think if you're going to commit to all the gruesome might as well just go all in and say this is for adults only and just just go for it i think that's that's where i would go i think if you're if you're gonna do that why not if we're gonna cut it all out what's the point yeah just get on with it i kind of think if they were again if they were to do it i'm in two minds like I kind of like to leave it as is, leave it as an audiobook, don't touch it because as Doug said, like they took the, the kind of the, the best parts of Jubilee in terms of the, the nuts and bolts and made a great introduction to the Daleks in a lot of ways. And also alluding to the backstory of you know the time war and et cetera, et cetera, which again, this had as well, the hundred years war and all that little jazz. But if I was to make this a big cinema spectacle, I would, and this is going to, you guys are all going to crucify me for this, but I would have liked to have seen Capaldi do it. Well, my next question was going to be, which doctor? Yeah, it would be Capaldi taking on this scenario. I mean, you could almost change, change nothing else of the story, but change doctor. And I think you'd get something akin to what you get in the Zygon inversion. Something really, his, his acting alone will just be the, just, come to the front and the, out, the outrage, the shock, the horror of... Because I think quite a lot of some of Capaldi's episodes are horror-based in their mm-hmm. themes and the way he handles it, I really enjoy. Yeah, I think this is the hands down, I would say he's one of my top five, top three doctors. If not, he vying for first place. So I'd like to have seen it. You could definitely imagine him looking up with his no legs scenario and just like this kind of the panning where you see the, the eyes and the attack eyebrows. Yeah. And that could work. Although I can see that with Colin Baker Doctor as well. But yeah, I can see what you mean. And certainly with the, the not pontificating, but the, the speechifying to the end, he would definitely be able to do that. Although I think Matt Smith's got a good rant as well. There's David Tennant as well. He's got a good furious when he goes off on one. Righteous anger. Yeah. Or is it? The righteous fury of a time lord. That's it. But then to be fair, I would have loved to, again, if if in live action to, again, I've not spent much time with Colin Baker, Baker's doctor, really enjoyed this big finish and would have liked to have seen him given a reign and given a you know, on, more of an on-screen go, if you will. Not necessarily in the shows he's done because I know at some, they do have the reputation for being not the best. But since this is a really solid story, his acting in it is really good. You know what? He 
as you say, would have probably done really, really well if this was a live action. Would it be of its time? I don't think the special effects would have done it justice. So keep it as an audio. We've got Dalek. It did really well. And I think some of the themes, I think a lot of the kind of the Dalekness of this episode has bled into a lot of New Who in terms of, I say, uh, Rusty in Capaldi's episodes. Certainly his the, the final episode for Peter Capaldi, his regeneration episode, there is very much, I, I've, I just see that, I just remember thinking of parallels between this bonkers Dalek and Rusty. Well, I think if you had to choose a doctor that Colin is most like, I think you would say it's Capaldi. I think the kind of grumpy thing that Capaldi did where he didn't make himself instantly popular, which I know alienated some people, isn't dissimilar to Colin. That's kind of Colin's thing. So I think that it would make sense if you were doing a modern version of it, Capaldi would be the one I think that would suit it the most. Because the other thing is, I'm not sure you want your doctor to be being too flippant in this one because it is so dark that you want your doctor to have that kind of level of flippancy, but at the same time, appreciate the seriousness of it. Sometimes I'm not sure David Tennant always gets across the seriousness of a situation because he's David Tennant. Yeah, it does tend to play it, again, on rewatches, slightly more arrogant in a lot of ways. Like, I am the doctor, I can fix anything. I'm just going to just rock up and just save the day. I am very much the, the adventurer swashbuckler. Tennant's a very arrogant doctor, actually. I mean, he's a great doctor, but he is. He's a doctor who understands yeah. that he's a doctor. He can do whatever he likes. Who's going to stop him? And there's definitely a little bit of that in it. So, were any of these actors in Hornblower? No. Do you know that? Have you checked? So, I, I've the actors, no. I haven't checked anything else. It's like any sort of signed production or anything like that. I did start a big list of comparing everyone who was possibly involved in any Hornblower and everyone who was possibly involved in any Doctor Who. And there are some really random little tie-ins, but I'll leave that for another episode. I can produce my PowerPoint presentation on the links between Doctor Who and Hornblower. It's all set in the same universe. Yeah, that would be awesome. Checking whether Martin Jarvis has ever turned up in in Hornblower because he feels like the kind of person who would have. But no, I think you may be right. No, he's not. He's not. Missed opportunity. Because I thought everyone had been in Hornblower. Colin Baker had never been in Hornblower. He was not in Hornblower. Disappointing, really. Revive the series. I think if I could maybe buy the rights and, and I'll, I'll rejuvenate the, re-enhance the uh, Hornblower series. There you go. Add in, add in the bigger and brighter ships. Yeah. More boats. I could be a brilliant director. Yeah, I want more ships. More, more boats. Ships. Thank more. you. We can't physically fit any more on the screen. More boats. More boats. Just cut the audio and kind of redo the entire show, but in space. Oh, that would be good. Hornblower in space. Space <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that Star Trek? But yes, there's a bit of a swashbuckling, I suppose. There are some parallels there. Wasn't, he, wasn't Captain Kirk supposed to be based on Horatio Hornblower or something? Or was it some other one? Was he? Oh, dear. Yeah, I think it was, but certainly Lincoln in Hornblower. You don't see William Shatner throwing up over the side of his ship, do you? I mean, to be fair, if he was to do that, sucked out the Enterprise window, if he was to do that. <laughs> Just stick his head. It's a bit difficult in space. So why do you think that Daleks are still of interest? Because they are six, coming up for 60 years old, and special effects and what we, we, you know, what we usually would look at for, for you know, design and stuff, feels like it should have moved on at such a point because pretty much all the other monsters have they've redone apart from to be fair the sea devils the last time we saw them 
but they've kind of redone them. But the Daleks have been redone, but not massively. They're still very obviously Daleks. And they still seem to have that same effect on people. And it's, I find it slightly strange. I'd be interested to know what you think. It's interesting because the, the biggest change to the Daleks was when they went, was it red, blue, oh, and, yeah. and what the like yellow was it? They had multicolor, really massive, bulky Daleks. It was Matt Smith's ones, yeah, the Victory of the Daleks. Yeah, and they never brought those back, so presumably they weren't very popular. Yeah, I remember when they popped out of the, the incubator thing and just kind of going, no, no, don't, no, stop, stop that. Because I think that part of the enduring design and overall threat of the Daleks is their tanks. Fair enough, they look like knobbly pepper pots, but their sole mission is to kill everything that isn't them. It kind of harks back to, I think, you know, that, I suppose, image of the Nazis, that kind of an indomitable war machine that was going to come and... It speaks to the inner to the fear that there is, you know, there's evil and will never stop. They never, ever stop. Even when they've been destroyed in the in the time war with the time wars, they still keep coming back. Again, as well, they, what they represent is what they represent: fascism and you know oppression and all the the worst elements of humanity. Because you know, it's for for all intents and purposes, it's a, sp- a space show. But you know, everything's based on something we know. Because there isn't really Daleks, but there is r- really a, a war machine coming to kill us all. I always find it interesting when people complain about Doctor Who being political. Because even going back to the days of the Daleks, the Do- Doctor Who was political. It was using allegory to tell oh, yeah. to tell these stories. I find it strange that you get people now going, "Oh, Doctor Who's far too political." And it's like, have you ever watched the show? It's when they say, oh, it's woke, and I'm I'm going to around to slap all of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, good, you mean, you know, you mean recognizing that people are different and that's okay. Is that too, is that too woke for you? It yeah. just oh, drives me crazy. So, yeah, so that blind hatred of anything that is not them, I think that comes down to, and it's simple, I think, as a, as a foil for new characters as well. We all know. That's what you're going to get. You might get the odd, potentially good Dalek until Peter Capaldi sorts them out again. But really, that's what you're getting. And it's it's kind of, they, it's not lazy, but they, they don't have to do so much work on that point. They can concentrate on other parts of the story. Maybe it's something to do with that. I think the design of them is so classic. Why would you change it over much? Apart from add a colour from time to time. Cool. I, I'm, I'm surprised in a way because they're done to death now. There's been so many Dalek stories and they're all just very loud Daleks. But I, I think they're still popular because kids can imitate them. The, you know, the new people coming up, it's all, you know, the old whisking up or whatever, telling you a Dalek your arm out or whatever. Um, and it's merchandise to death. I mean, they, they, they must make the BBC loads of money just on the merchandise sales alone. Plastic Daleks and the like. And I mean, I've got Dalek bubble bath that I got, but, well, it must have been in the mid-2000s when, when New Who came out, and probably that Dalek episode or the, the ones in the next series. But yeah, they just keep coming back. And I think Davros had a new spice to them because he seemed to have been in most of the most of the episodes. I think all the episodes pretty much after he appeared in Genesis of the Daleks, he's been in all the original Who stories, not necessarily all the new Who ones, but he just added a dimension to them, I guess. They are quite one-dimensional, really. You just want to kill everything and take over everything. Isn't that quite fascinating that the, the audiobook that we've just listened to touches on that? And 
and how it's all merchandised and oh, yeah, yeah. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why I mentioned it. Yeah. I if to go on to what my favorite Dalek stories are, I've kind of got three in my head and Surprise, surprise, they are all new who. I really enjoyed Victory of the Daleks, Matt Smith's third episode, set in World War II. Because I think coming out of the back end of Tenant's episode with Crucible being, you know, very Dalek heavy, very Davros, very indicative of the Tenant era, big bombastic series finale, it's big bang boom. It was nice to see that kind of brought down in production a bit and very much kind of like set driven to the the start of it and then obviously it does end up in space but they win they win at the end there is there is no real victory there's no good the good guys don't win albeit stopping a bomb going off but Daleks are back and it's like oh okay this is your big clunky and colorful but yeah okay let's see where this goes this is a new dynamic and then I really like Capaldi's second episode into Dalek because again, that was very, very much his second, his first outing. And Ben Wheatley, the director of the episode, is a great filmmaker in his own right. Yeah, it was just a really well shot episode. And again, presenting a Dalek in a different way, going inside and seeing the the, the, the ins and outs. It was a really fascinating episode to watch. And I, again, completing that Rusty story in Capaldi's finale, where he goes to Scaro and Rusty's there being the last Dalek of that planet. And I just found it a really good a story arc between I'm a, I'm a big fan of canon and stuff so I like, like little, I re-enjoyed it kind of getting rounded off in that nice little neat package and not kind of a left hanging which you know some who has left many strands just hanging and like come on tie that up no this this one actually does nicely done that's me I, I also liked Into the Dalek because he's examining his subconscious or conscience I quite like that but I think they the witch is familiar. I think that's the one you might have been talking about there where Missy puts Clara inside a Dalek. And that's just sheer devilment, which I enjoy for, <laughs> so- for many reasons, as you might have thought. But I think those, yeah, those would be my favorite ones. I haven't examined them for some time, but I think thinking back of the ones that I've enjoyed, I think those ones would have been the ones I enjoyed the most. Plus the cup of tea moment, which I really should go back and. <laughs> I don't have this cup of tea. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm the doctor. You so figured it just, out. Just accept it. Just accept it. Yeah. Just accept this. And say, okay, I will accept this. Fine. How to, how to sum up Doctor Who in one line? And the doctor accept it. Love it. And I can't because we I, we came round to your house, didn't we? Or I came round to your house, Stuart, and we watched a Dalek set of episodes. We did. That was the unlimited rice pudding. That oh. was. That's that remembrance. That yes, that's my favorite. That's my favorite Dalek series is Remembrance of the Daleks, just because it's Sylvester McCoy is absolute best, and Sylvester McCoy is my favorite Doctor, and it's mm-hmm. Ben Aronovich, whose writing I really like in his his other books. Uh, now as a novelist, I really really like his writing there. It has the unlimited rice pudding line in it, which I think is one of the great lines, but it's got some sort of social things going on as well it's got ace realizing that the people she's staying with who she thinks are really nice are actually really racist and and are kind of quite fascist but she doesn't realize that because it's not being put towards her and it's just some really interesting mm-hmm. stuff and it leads on to countermeasures who are it's like a, one of the big finished spin-offs which are the, the group of scientists that work there it's just got an awful lot going for it and it feels out of all of them i think it feels very like modern who it's got that kind of sensibilities and obviously it's also got ace hitting a dalek with a baseball bat 
and that's which is which is brilliant. Nitro nine and nitro nine. Yes, that's got it's got the great line where the doctor turns to Ace and goes, "Ace, give me some of that nitro nine you're not carrying." And she, she just hands up the can of Nitro 9 that she's snuck out. <laughs> it's just like, it's just it's just that little moment of the Doctor knowing her so well that he's just like, I'm, I'm not really caring and just like, yeah, it's fine. I trust you to have the explosives. But, and, there's, and it also ties back, it's set in 1963 and they arrive at Totter's Lane, which is where the TARDIS was in the very first episode of Doctor Who. It, it all sort of harks back. It was, the, it, you know, and I just, I love those little bits. There's, in fact, there's a bit in the She's in the bed and breakfast that she's staying in, Ace. And just as she's leaving, you hear the television going, and it's now 5.45, and we're now about to start with our brand new science fiction series. And it just cuts out there. And it's just like this lovely little moment of ridiculous fourth wall breaking that really appeals to me. My earliest Dalek story was Day of the Daleks, because they'd not been in the series for about five years, I think, at that point. Because I think Terry Nation was trying to sell them to America to have a Dalek-only seat. So I would have been six and a third, I think, when Day of the Daleks was aired. Is that the Terminator-style one? Yeah, go back in time to try try and change the future sort of one. I mean, the things I remember about it aren't all just the Daleks, really. The Ogrons is the thing maybe that stuck out the most for me is one of the more memorable things. Because the first... First time that they'd appeared, and they you know, they're sort of rubber head and down to the the nose, and then it was the actor's chin and, and mouth, which they used a lot for monsters in, in that area of who from then on really. So you got a bit more life lifelike mouth motion, whatever. And I remember the times travel back and forth in time because I think there were only worth three Daleks in the whole story. So you know, probably because those are the three that still existed that they could cobble together from the various bits. So yeah, it, it was my first memory. It's certainly not my uh, my favourite Dalek story. I think probably my favourite one is Genesis of the Daleks, I guess, because it was it was the one that Davros first appears in, and it's the sort of the origin of the Daleks with, with Davros being their creator. It's also got the classic Tom Baker scene with his two bits of wire saying, "Do I have the right to end the you know, end the, the story of the Daleks here and now by by blowing up or whatever it was that the, the touching the two wires were going to do?" Well, they try and do something different with the Daleks rather than just being a domineering force. Then you know, inside the Dalek was an interesting. His story and Dalek itself, just the one Dalek was was a, a good take and probably partly because of the, the budget restrictions of New Who, they probably didn't have the same budget in the first series as they were later on and it was like a, you know, in little base, very few sets and whatever, so that works well. As you were saying, you know, the, the David Tennant era with hundreds and thousands of Daleks flying around on in space and whatever, it just, you know, it's, it's just pandering to it's like a lot of these Marvel films. I just switch off when all this, all these big battles happen now with the hundreds and hundreds of things swirling around. For my generation and your generation, I guess, Doug, who watched Doctor Who classic, you know, in the classic series, we probably were aware of Daleks through, through watching the series. But I imagine Chris and maybe even Joe we're aware of the Daleks because the Daleks are the thing that's in the public consciousness about Doctor Who probably more than I, anything else. I was else. aware of them as a kid, but I really can't honestly say whether that's from having watched it or whether it was just through the subconscious of them being the baddie. I couldn't tell you because I did watch. I did watch it as a kid. I just it obviously didn't register with me at the time, and I wouldn't watch enough of them. So they were just yeah. there. 
Well, I mean, they went in an awful lot back in the back in the, the day, really. I mean, there was a string of about well, it was six stories and the the, mm. the the first two doctors, and then the gap of five years, and then there's only about another seven stories over the following fifteen years or whatever it was. So there's a lot there's a lot more Dalek stories compared to the number of stories we've got we've had in the in the new. I would I would imagine if you did the did the stats on it. I guess that's the thing with Daleks is that they just they entered the pop culture zeitgeist. Again, that's how I I remember them most from growing up. Obviously, I watched some Doctor Who, but mostly the Dalekless ones. That's what we have things to say. And yeah, there was just the forever baddies. You needed to string out a baddie on British TV. You got a Dalek. It was the Daleks that saved Doctor Who from being cancelled after its first thirteen episodes because they were straight away they were popular with the kids and went walking running around the playground the next day after the, the f- first time they appeared we've kind of all daleked out here so let's have a chat about what we're going to do next time and it's doug's choice this time so doug which audio do you want to do well i thought about uh, should we go back to the start and do a first second doctor story and then it was pointed out to me that i might like to do the annihilators which is a normally a third Doctor adventure, but it's also got the second Doctor in it and the Brigadier and it has different companions. We had Joe in the mas- in Masterful. So you've got a different actor playing John Pertwee. You've got, well, not the original actress playing Liz Shaw, the first companion with her. It's her doctor. daughter. You've got the Brigadier and Unit and you've got Patrick Crouton played by his son. And Liz Shaw is played by the original actor's daughter. And it brings us up to date with an almost just released story. It was released this year, wasn't it? So, here's the trailer. Did you notice anything odd about that policeman? No, why? He seemed strangely blank. From Big Finish Productions, The Third Doctor Adventures, The Annihilators. There's no way out. We're trapped. with the TARDIS? There was an odd surge of... well... um... Of what? Gravity. Gravity? Oh my giddy aunt! What's that? I'm hallucinating. I must be. They say that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. What? But still, let's hope you appreciate the gravity of the situation. Doctor! Jamie! It's so good to see you! You too! Oh, we better, um, keep our voices down. Big finish for the love of stories. We'll be back soon then to talk about Annihilator, so it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye. It's goodbye from me as well. Goodbye for now. Goodbye from him. And goodbye from him. If you've enjoyed this, please hit subscribe and we'll be back soon. Thank you.